Hello, everyone. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Nick Iricchio. And we are the Movie Knights. Well, some of them. If you're watching this because you want to hear our uncensored, unfiltered thoughts and opinions on the world of movies and entertainment, so kick back, relax, and the Movie Knights Roundtable begins now. Another week, another show. Another a busy show, a too. very we busy show. a lot to cover. And because of that, we're going to go ahead and kick off the movie news section of our show now. What is the movie news section of our show? Well, we dive into the trades and bring you the latest stories coming in the world of movies mm-hmm. and tell, give you some insight as to what we feel about those stories. I wish I could speak English better. Nicholas, what do you got for us first? Our first story comes to us from Deadline. Akiva Goldsman is returning his weed road to Warner Brothers in a multi-year first-look deal. Uh, and with that news comes some uh, project announcements. Oh. Uh, we're starting with two projects that are fun and very much Warner's. Uh, the sequel to I Am Legend with Will Smith and Michael B. Jordan and the sequel to Constantine with Keanu Reeves that Francis Lauren is going to direct. So I'm coming out of the gate fast, says Akiva. Uh, we're doing it with J.J. Abrams and Francis and Keanu and I have been pretty deep in the story-breaking stage. Yes, yeah, so Constantine 2 we heard about a few weeks ago. But it but was kind of rumors at that point. It was point. kind there of was just like, like an announcement, really. Mm-hmm. And now that we're seeing that it's actually getting worked on, especially amid rumors that it may be canceled and it does not. Um, so that's good to hear. But the more interesting one from this announcement, I think, is the sequel to I Am Legend. Because in the article, it says that this sequel is based on the alternate ending to the movie, which mm-hmm. I find fascinating. Because, the, one, you don't see that. And, two, how are they going to market this to the audience? Because the if you haven't seen the alternate ending to I Am Legend, it's insanely different than the ending to I Am Legend. So Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. So how they're going to play that out is kind of interesting to me. Are they going to re-release I Am Legend with the new ending, like a year or so before, to be like, hey, it's a sequel to this? Or like, well, I wonder how they're going to play that out. Somehow it's going to become a Restore the Snyderverse thing. I know that. But um, anyways, what are your thoughts on like making a sequel to an alternate ending? And do you think that will have an impact on projects going forward? Michael B. Jordan, not in the first one. No. Okay, that was like a casting announcement saying he's in this. Yes. Um, I really don't have a lot to say on this one because I have not seen I Am Legend. I have not seen I Am Legend's alternate (laughs) ending, nor have I seen Constantine. Amazing. Um, But I think that the concept of following an alternate ending is interesting, and hopefully it works out for audiences because what we've actually seen lately, too, is this seems like kind of the next step. Like, if you look at the uh, new Halloween trilogy, they were like, nope, sequel to the first one. Yep. Like, that's it. And I think we've seen that with a few other franchises lately. So it seems like, yeah, why not do an alternate ending? Because, cool. And if it sets up, if they have an idea that they think can work with it, because I don't know what the ending is. I don't know if, like, Will Smith dies or mm-hmm. something. And then he doesn't in the alternate ending. I'm not sure. It's pretty much. Kind the, of. I mean, there, there's a story thing, too, mm-hmm. but that's that's the big thing that's going to be different. Spoiler alert for I Am Legend. I don't know what came out. That's not the one where he dies with the jellyfish. No. What movie is that? Is that the really M. Night Shyamalan one with his son? No. Is it Seven Pounds? Maybe. I don't know. It's not the one where he dies in a bathtub of jellyfish. No. Did I make that up? I, no, that's a movie. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That is a movie. It may, maybe it's Seven Pounds because I've never seen Seven Pounds. But let me know in the comments. Is that a movie? <laughs> Will Smith dies in a bathtub of jellyfish. There's no I, way I could make that listen, up. I hope to God it's not a movie. I'm really hoping to God that you just fucking dreamt this. Will Smith. <laughs> You're going to look it up now. Jellyfish. 
Seven pounds. Okay, what's seven pounds? <laughs> it's on a Reddit thing for shitty movie details. <laughs> and it says in the movie Seven Pounds, Will Smith's character Ben Thomas commits suicide by putting a box jellyfish in a bathtub. However, since box jellyfish are extremely lethal, in order to film the scene, they just put him in a bathtub with a regular jellyfish. <laughs> 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 anyway, anyway, I mean, I think it's uh, going back to the main story. I think it's interesting to follow up on an alternate ending, and I'm curious to see how they'll actually market it or just be like, eh, fuck it. Yeah, they'll figure it out because mm-hmm. I think it's easier to market like the ignoring the sequels. Yeah, but you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. What do you guys think about uh, I Am Legend making a sequel to the alternate ending of the film, which I think follows the line of the novel more, which I have not read. Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Our next story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Dragons and Vikings are taking to the sky once more, Dalton. Taking a massive swing, which I agree with, Universal Pictures has put in motion a How to Train Your Dragon live-action movie with Dean DeBlois. DeBlois? The filmmaker behind the original animated trilogy, Back in the Saddle, is writer, director, and producer. The feature project has already steps into the development process with a release date of March 14th, twenty. 25 with casting already underway yeah so this is really interesting this came out the past few days uh the original filmmaker of the how to change your dragon movies amazing movies is making a live action movie when i hear live action remake of the thing i kind of eh on the mm-hmm. idea hearing that the original director's coming back i feel much better about it however um i was actually talking to the amazing morgan campbell all hail morgan campbell the amazing morgan um i was it's our <laughs> friend of ours and he's worked on quiver I was talking with him about it, and he said that I would feel better about the news knowing on who approached who. <laughs> he's like, if he That's fair. he's like if he went to Universal, I feel really good about it. If Universal went to him, I don't feel good about it. And I was like, you know what? I kind of see exactly what you're saying. I, I like that point. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. Either way, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I know they're not going to cast Jay Brownshaw to play uh, the lead. I think it's Hiccup is his name. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Hiccup. Hiccup. I hope they do, though. I hope or, we get Gerard Butler as the dad still. <laughs> I, I think that they're, they're going to all make cameos, I think mm-hmm. is going to be what's going to end up going down. But I love that vocal performance in those movies from J. Brown Child. But anyway, what are your thoughts on How to Chain Your Dragon live action, and do you think it's a good idea that the old director is coming back? I think that How to Train Your Dragon is one of the greatest animated trilogies. I think that each movie is better than the last. I think they really kind of shifted. Like, if you watch one and two, I think the direction changes. And tonally and visually, everything is just top tier. And I think that with these live-action remakes, like we've seen Disney doing, they've been very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that Universal won't put in the time and effort. And Mm -hmm. if, you know, I think a good step is bringing back the original writer, director, producer of the animated movies, but also... I think animation is a different beast altogether compared to live action. Mm-hmm. And sometimes directors can't make that jump mm-hmm. or vice versa. If you go to live, if you're, you know, a live action director going to animation, sometimes it doesn't work. So I'd be very curious about that. And that would be kind of some hesitation for me. Uh, I am settled a bit by having him there, but also why not just do how to train your dragon Four? Yeah, that's fair. That that's that's an astute point. And if it if it is a remake or a live action version of it, the first one I feel like didn't come out long enough to justify that. Mm-hmm. And 
it how much of the story are they going to change or is it just going to be a shot for shot but live action this time and I don't think I would have an interest in that. I think I'd rather just watch the first one. Yeah, no, I I think you bring up a, a bunch of great points. Mm-hmm. I'm cautiously optimistic. I have a feel. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see this, hear the story of the director jumping to live action features and crushing it. And I hope that's what happens. Obviously, I don't hope the movie fails. Um, and who knows with how the world works now? Maybe they'll do a live action movie and How to Train Your Dragon Four and just fucking. Go that's what I'm saying. Nuts. Like I think I think if it comes to a live action remake of the first one or. A fourth one. I mean, the third one only came out, like, what, four years ago? Yeah. I feel like it's very soon for something like this. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we'll we'll just have to see how it goes. What do you guys think about a live-action How to Train Your Dragon movie coming from the original director? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Next story comes to us from Collider. Speaking of uh, remakes and reboots, after crashing and burning with the David Harbour-led reboot of <laughs> Hellboy back in 2019... It, Hellboy is getting another chance to redeem itself. A new live-action film based on the demonic superhero is already written at Millennium Media, with Brian Taylor set to direct. Progress is said to be well along on the reboot, with filming set to begin in Bulgaria in April. So this thing is ready. Yes. So, uh, kind of a surprise Mm -hmm. that this new Hellboy movie is coming. And I know, I think, discussing film had the exclusive and Collider's confirming the report on it. Mm -hmm. Very fun and cool to see. Maybe some type of announcements intimate from the studio. Um, But... David, the David Harbour Hellboy. So I love David Harbour, right? I think he's great. I love the, that director. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is the same director as The Descent, which is a great horror movie. Okay. I'm not I, familiar I with hope, the I hope that that's right. I can fact check while you're going. Thank you. I only was brought joy watching the David Harbour Hellboy movie once. And it's because for no reason, at one point, there's a big action set piece to the song uh, Psycho by Muse. And when that played, I was like, oh, I like this song. That was the only joy I felt during <laughs> the whole movie. I loved um, Thomas Hayden Church as, was it Lobster? <laughs> yeah. Or whatever the guy's name is. Yeah. Yeah, so the David Harbour director, Neil Marshall, did direct The Descent. I just checked that okay. for you. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Very cool. Who's directing the new one? Do you say Brian? Brian Taylor. Yeah. Would you like to know his credits? I would. Crank. Crank High Voltage. Oh, no way. Gamer. <laughs> Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. <laughs> and Mom and Dad, which was a Nick Cage movie as well. I'm excited for the new Hellboy. <laughs> Nick Cage and Hellboy? Oh, I hope so. But, dude, Ghost Rider 2, so bad. You got to watch it. I like Crank and Crank 2. I'll say that. Those are fun Don't movies. you like Gamer? I've never seen it. Oh. Yeah. I think one of us likes Gamer. Anthony? For some reason, Gamer just, my brain went to Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we'll, we'll... That's not the one with, what's the one with Gerard Butler with that, the carrot? That's him. That's Gamer? Yeah. With the carrot scene action? No, no. Carrot scene in action is shoot him up with Clive Owen. Ah, that's what I was thinking of. Never mind. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. confusing them. And I do love that film. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so listen. New Hellboy movie coming from the Crank director. I'm in. Are you in? <sighs> no. No? No. What for? <laughs> I, Because Guillermo del Toro did it so well. That's true. And then David Harbour did. It's also what a quick turnaround from the David Harbour one. That one was what, 2019? Yeah. They're like, fuck it, try it again. Yeah. <laughs> Hold up. Again. Run it back. <laughs> Double the Hellboy. You know what? Mulligan. You get one Mulligan per <laughs> per franchise. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I'd be curious what they're adapting Uh because I know the Hellboy comics are very good and very popular. And I know that the David Harbour one didn't really adapt much of it outside of the characters. Mm -hmm. So I think they kind of might need to scale back a bit and just do just a live action version of a famous graphic novel of it. Yeah. 
and go from there. I think I could see working very well. Yeah, yeah, probably. We'll have to see how it goes. I wonder goes. who you cast, too. That's going to be interesting. Because, honestly, both the castings for Hellboy, I think, were yeah. solid. Like, David Harbour was a good was a was Choice. good casting. And yeah. if he had something to work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. What do you guys think about the new Hellboy movie in the works? Let us know as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what you got for us next? Our next story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Disney's making some moves on its release date calendar, Dalton. Oh. It has pushed Marvel Studios' The Marvels out of summer and into the fall. The Marvels, starring Brie Larson, will now open November 10th. Pushed back from its previous July 28th date in a twinned move, the theme park-based Haunted Mansion is jumping into the July 28th spot, shifting from August 11th. So, yes, uh, this comes off the heels of comments from Kevin Feige, who was recently talking about how Marvel in Phase 5 and 6 and beyond, they're going to start spacing out when their projects come out. He was specifically talking about TV shows at the time, but now with this move, it's clearly this clearly applies to films as well. And one... This is a fantastic idea because love or hate phase four, everyone agrees too much, too quickly. Holy shit, right? Like Mm -hmm. that was kind of what was going on. And it's hard to determine who made that call because I know that there's been some reporting that it was a Chapek call of like you have to hit a quota Mm -hmm. per year of like what you release theatrically and on Disney Plus with Iger coming back. Is that different? We don't know. Maybe Iger made that plan originally. We'll have to see. Um, but regardless, Haunting Mansion taking that date, I think it's just a good idea because it's like, hey, we have a spot. We have this date open. What do we got? Do you think that'll be ready? Great. Let's move it there. You know, we're not going to be getting it around Halloween anymore, but at least if it's a good movie and it's ready, why not release it in the summer? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a perfectly fine move. Um, the Marvels, we were wondering why we didn't get a trailer at the Super Bowl and everything. It turns out just because, oh, they're going to delay it to November. They did release a poster, and I, I I love the poster. It's a very good poster. I think it's a great poster. I'm looking forward to the movie. Um, With I, uh, uh, Nia DaCosta directing, yes, who did yes, Candyman. Yes, yeah. and, and I think that spreading them out and moving Marvels to November is a good idea. I think we're going to hear about some shows that were previously slated for 2023 be delayed into 24 and beyond. And I think this is nothing but great news. Yeah. And I think that if they have to delay some of the Avengers and those movies down the line to space things out more, mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine with that. And I, Kevin Feige also mentioned that they're going to be making shows that can only be shows, movies that can only be movies going forward. I think this is a sign of good things to come. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think so too. I think um, something that I'd like to see is... I would love to see just a quarterly release from Marvel. Uh-huh. So like this year we're getting three, we we're going to get three movies. We we're going to get three TV shows. That's mm-hmm. now shifted to three movies and two TV shows. Yeah. I would love it. Just quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four, alternate. Give me a movie, TV show, so, movie, TV show, like or that. whatever you want to fill in. Because I think post end game, like most of phase four, I think personally there's been a little bit of a dip in quality with some standouts. Like I yeah. love Shang-Chi. Yeah. But part of the issues that I think I've been having are, I feel like this, every script needs like two or three more drafts. Mm-hmm. And I think they need more time to better develop the effects work. Yes. And big time. I think that the movies need to stop using the volume personally. Mm-hmm. I Or just use it better. Yeah. Get people who know how to use it. Well, because I think lately they've been just using it as an over oversized green screen they've been using it to make production cheaper yes and i think that you notice that dip and Mm -hmm. um i think also the i think the concept is there for the volume i think the quality suits better for tv because you write it off as oh it's a tv show and i think when you see it in the movies you're like 
what am I watching? Well, that and they, they seem to be obsessed with using the volume for wide shots. Yeah. When I think the volume works better close up. Go on. As like the faded background. Oh, okay. You know, like, mm-hmm. or the out of focus background, I should say. Mm-hmm. I think with the volume works beautifully. Because like in the cockpits, when they do Mandalorian in the X-Wings, yeah. the cockpit volume stuff looks perfect. Mm-hmm. Like flawless. When you're looking at the stars up yeah, the Yeah, but because yeah. you have something in frame and it's stuff behind you. And they've also actually built the ship. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Where always, they, how they've been using volume is, it's a, it's a lot of sand. It's real sand with some props and then the volume and it's wide mm-hmm. and you can tell from how it's designed the composition the composition the and it's like okay this something feels off here mm-hmm. roadways with traditional green screen you can manipulate it cg blend and do that kind of stuff yeah. and i think that if you're going to use the using the tool doesn't mean should or shouldn't i think just mm-hmm. use the tool better and yeah. i think you can still create great things okay but yes so I think that and just, I think, again, the VFX work just overall outside of the volume, mm-hmm. some of the script, I think just everything needs a little more time to breathe and be developed more instead of production, production, production. Mm-hmm. So I think I would even like to see just, again, two movies and two TV shows a year. I would love that. Moving forward, because I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I love, we love the Marvel franchise, but I also want quality. I want them to be good for me, not just... Yeah. Not give me more, but give me shit. Yeah, especially because people for ever since I can I remember the conversations about this happening after the first Avengers movie. So for over like ten years now, people have always said like, "Oh, superhero fatigue, superhero fatigue, superhero fatigue." Mm-hmm. That's really not a thing. What is a thing is bad movie fatigue. Mm-hmm. The re- because everyone compares it to the western. Yeah. The reason the western died is because they stopped being good. Mm-hmm. And there were too many bad bad ones in a row. Right? Why haven't superhero movies stopped making money? Because they've been good. But that is starting to change. Yeah. And I think Marvel's smart. And they realize, like, we're on top of the world. And if we want to stay on top of the world, we got to keep putting out content that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Movies that are amazing. We have to keep putting out movies that are amazing. Or else, if we get three bad projects in a row... Mm-hmm people are suddenly looking at us differently yeah and i think this is comes at a great time because with james gunn in dc if he knocks it out of the park it's just going to save this genre to keep going for longer and longer and they're actually trying to do something different allegedly like yes. genre wise instead of just saying they're different genres exactly like they yes. said. Mm-hmm. and what i think too is that um I hope it doesn't become a thing, and I hope that we do see this change after pushing things and giving them more time to rework and stuff. Mm-hmm. I hope we see that because I really hope that, and I think Kevin Feige is a fantastic producer. I hope he's not just like, who gives a shit? Because when we get to Secret Wars and they see Hugh Jackman and Tobey Maguire in the same <laughs> yeah. shot, they're going to forgive me. Yeah. I hope it doesn't become that. Yeah, I hope so too. Then that just is revolving. Because then, around when we service. get there, we don't care exactly. And that, and the whole reason why Infinity War Endgame work is mm-hmm. because they made us care. Every step of the way getting there. Yes. Those game, those movies do not work if we don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. To be clear, the Hugh Jackman Toby Wire was a hypothetical. Yes. We're not reporting yes. anything. Yes. There was nothing am about I gonna, that. Am but... I going to save this clip when Secret Wars comes out yeah. and if that happens and say that we called it? Yeah. Sure. But you know what I mean? I but hope it's not a scoop. I hope he's not yeah. building up to something big and just being like, they won't care. If I pull this off, they won't care about what I gave beforehand. Yeah. Because I do care and I think that there's interesting characters and interesting stories to be had uh-huh. with these characters i just feel like they're not giving them the projects to service them i agree i agree completely now speaking also on this subject though do you 
outside of Marvel, but in the story, Haunted Mansion. Are you aware of this project? I'm aware, but uh, it has a killer cast, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I was about to get into. <laughs> Please, enlighten me. You ready everyone. for this? Oh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, uh-huh. who's playing Madame Leota. Yes. Owen Wilson, Winona Ryder, Rosario Dawson, Danny DeVito, Lakeith Stanfield, Dan Levy, Tiffany Haddish. And guys, they're doing the Hatbox Ghost. Yep. It's Jared Leto. Yep. Disney's really latching on to Jared Leto, huh? They're like <laughs> Tron and... The thing is, I could see that working. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably exactly... Look look at me. When they were in the boardrooms <laughs> yeah. and someone said Jared Leto, like six executives sighed, and then one whispered, you know, I can kind of see that working. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Well, that's the role I want Jared Leto to be. Stop making him the main star. I don't want Jared Leto. I want him to be weird in the corner of things. And that's exactly what the Hatbox Ghost is. I don't yes. care about Tron Aries. I don't want to watch another Jared Leto-led movie. But him as the Hatbox Ghost doing something wild? Give me that. Yes, absolutely. Holy shit. What a cast. I'm really glad you went on that tangent. That was great. Oh, my God. So uh, what do you guys think of Marvel shifting release dates, Disney shifting release dates? And you know what? Fuck it. What do you think about that Haunted Mansion cast? I want to hear about it as we move on to the next section of our show, which is the B-roll. Well, what's the B-roll? It's sort of an extension of the movie news section of our show, except we dive into some topics we didn't have time to really dive into and discuss, but we wanted to bring you the headlines so you're still informed as to what's going on. Nick, what's first on the B-roll? First story comes to us from Deadline, ahead of the South by Southwest world premiere in the March 31st opening of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Paramount Pictures has closed a multi-year first look deal with the film's directors John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Now for people who may not be familiar with just the names on the back, they were two of the eight writers on Spider-Man Homecoming. (laughs) They wrote and directed Game Night with Jason Bateman and um, Rachel McAdams, which is fucking hysterical. And they were set to direct Flash and write Flash at one point. I think they were the third directors One out of, of eight. One of the many. Yeah. Um, and Dungeons & Dragons looks incredible. As a D&D player as well, I think it looks great, and I'm super excited for it, and I think they need more work. Absolutely, yes. Next story comes to us also from Deadline. John Madden series huddle. Uh, the career of John Madden will be the subject of a limited series to be directed by Gavin O'Connor, who did The Accountant, which we love <laughs> and no one else does. Warrior, The Accountant, Miracle, The Way Back. He's a great filmmaker. In the huddle on the telling, the life story of the Hall of Fame Raiders head coach, groundbreaking broadcaster and video game icon are Todd Lieberman's Hidden Pictures, Lit Entertainment Group's Adam Colrenner, Religion of Sports, Gotham Chopra, Ryan Stowell, and Tom Brady's 199 production. So another Tom Brady production. Tom Brady! <laughs> next story comes to us from the hollywood reporter um well as we know dean fleischer camp uh who directed marcel the shell with shoes on which is getting oscar acclaim this year uh uh, his next project is a disney plus movie a live action remake of lilo and stitch yes uh well they've started casting and we have uh our first star attached to it in zach galifianakis fuck yeah now the hollywood reporter did not say who he will be playing but the rap report exclusively that he will be playing pleakly these uh, Jumba's uh, side sidekick scientists. Yes, yes. Um, I personally think it should have been Jim Rash who played the dean on <laughs> Community. Yes. But sure, Zach Galifianakis, why not? Yes, why not? Um, Our next story comes to us from Deadline. Uh, speaking of multi-look first multi-look first look deals warner brothers has inked a multi-year first look deal directing and producing agreement with two-time oscar nominated filmmaker m night Shyamalan, whose uh, most recent movie saw his seventh number one opening at the box office yes 
Warner Brothers is really on a roll here with trying to win their back relationships there, and yeah. I respect them. I do too. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have ooh, this one's a fun one here from uh, our favorite scooper, Jeff Snyder. Yes, uh, he's saying uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman will appear in the Penguin series. Good. It's about time we get some more Battinson. Yes. Um, Another thing, a unrated cut of Megan is coming to Peacock on February 24th. I am interested to see that because one of my main issues with Megan Mm -hmm. was the PG-13 rating. So I'm hoping maybe an R rating can uh, persuade me the other way. What are your thoughts? I agree. And it's coming to 4K after it hits Peacock. And our last B-roll story comes to us from Deadline. Emma Corinne, who... uh, recently got a uh, claim on the show The Crown, has joined the cast of Deadpool 3 along with Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and reports are saying that they will be playing the villain. That sounds awesome. Uh, yes. I haven't really seen anything with them in it, mm-hmm. but um, I've heard that they're great. Yes. And anything involving Deadpool is great for me, so I'm excited to hear the news. I am very excited. And that's it for the B-roll, folks. <laughs> I wanted to give you a moment to bask in the uh, quickness in which you just delivered that good job. <sighs> Was that too fast? Too furious. <laughs> Dude, do you know how I never get the opportunity to do that? Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, we have fun here. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm shutting it down. We're never doing another episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, now it's time for Dalton's favorite part of the show. <laughs> yes, well, now we move on to the box office. The box office. Section of our show where we break down the top five box office of last weekend. Now, again, these are just the Sunday estimates. I will put the final Monday numbers in the description below. Do you mind pulling up our predictions from last week? I already got them up, my friend. Oh, look at this fucking guy. Go for it. What we have? Dalton, you had Ant-Man coming in as number one, a bold choice. Uh, you had then Magic Mike, Avatar, 80 for Brady, and Knock at the Cabin. I had Ant-Man, Avatar, Magic Mike, 80 for Brady, and Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Which we'll get into. <laughs> yes. So we were both wrong. We both had some, what? We, we were both wrong. We, yeah. Can you believe that? We both had some stuff in there, though. So here's what went down. Number one, Ant Man of the Lost Quantumania, which on the three day weekend is estimated to make 104 million dollars. Okay. Second place, Avatar: The Way of Water, God damn it. <laughs> making 6.1 million dollars. Coming in third, only dropping 33%, but it also got released into more theaters. Magic Mike's Last Dance, making another $5.5 million. Coming in fourth, Puss in Boots The Last Wish, dropping 6%, making another $5.2 million. And coming in fifth, staying in there, Knock at the Cabin, making $3.9 million, only dropping 28% from week two to week three. 80 for Brady, just missed it in the sixth spot. And how did Pooh, Winnie the Pooh do? Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey made $679,000. Oh, bother. <laughs> okay. Wait, right. fuck. We looked up the box. We looked up the production for that. Yeah. That made money. Oh, it, dude, you want to know how, it made, how much it made worldwide? How much? Winnie the Pooh, Blood and, Honey, Blood and Honey, so far worldwide has $2.5 million. <laughs> That's what happens when you make a meme, bro. It's not even a meme. But the idea of it was a meme. 
We'll get into that during our review. Yes, we will. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania so far worldwide has made $225 million, and I believe it was on a budget of around 200 Let me confirm that. I would assume that Ant-Man 3 has a budget of around $200 million. That so right now, makes sense, yeah. So right now it's hit its production budget back. It's going to make about two and a half more, so maybe around 500 before it starts being profitable. Okay. But I think I think we'll get there. How high do you think it'll get? You think it'll reach like multiverse numbers? No, or, no. no. I, th- I think it'll be maybe around Thor four, maybe a what little was that, bit like six hundred, seven hundred, seven hundred. Yeah. Okay, around there. Man, they really haven't reached that billion in a minute, have they? Wakanda? No, no. no. Wakanda didn't. Mm-mm. No, no. I feel like that just farther proves into the decline. Yep. Yep. These movies would make a billion dollars easy. Yeah, but also but Spider-Man. Also, none of them got China releases. Oh, that's except true. for. One just did. I don't remember which one. But, like, mm-hmm. not a lot of them get China releases oh. this past year because China got really strict with what they bring oh, wow. in. Um, Spider-Man made almost $2 billion. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, Avatar The Way of Water, now $2.2 billion. And it repassed Titanic at uh, to be the third biggest movie of all time. Go James Cameron. <laughs> Beating himself again and again yep. and again. Magic Mike's Last Dance worldwide has made $37 million mm-hmm. so far, which is pretty good. We said the budget last week, but I forgot what it was. $45 million. So we're getting there. Puss in Boots' Last Wish now worldwide has $422 million. Good for that movie. For I, that. I'm gonna, when, as soon as it comes on Peacock, I'm going to watch it. Is that where it's coming? I mean, Universal, I assume so. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Knock at the Cabin has made $47 million worldwide, and that budget was pretty low. So I think that's going to be on its way to making money very soon. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that is the top five box office for you. And uh, yeah, I the only thing I was right about was Titanic taking a drop after Valentine's Day, and it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ant-Man being number one. Yeah. By the way, there's a new Liam Neeson movie out. Go on. It's called Marlowe. Okay. It's only made $2 million. But it looks like a period piece with Liam Neeson. Here's the synopsis. Set in the late 1930s L.A., Marlowe centers around a streetwise down-in-his-luck detective, Philip Marlowe, who I believe is Liam Neeson, who is hired to find the ex-lover of a glamorous heiress, daughter of well-known movie star. The disappearance unearths a web of lies, and soon Marlowe is involved in a dangerous, deadly investigation where everyone involved has something to hide. Yes. It's playing at the local theater if you want to go see it sometime. Ah. Oh. We tend to go to those Liam Neeson things all the time. Because they're all fucking great. <laughs> when he stops delivering, I'll stop going. <laughs> That's fair, bro. He better be in ship. <laughs> I still haven't seen Plane. Oh, I need to see Plane. Goddamn. Uh, anyway, that will do it for the box office section of our show. And now we're going to move on to the movie review section of our show. And boy, oh fucking boy, are you guys in luck. We have... Two movie reviews for you today. Two reviews? <laughs> You've been waiting to do that, haven't you? The whole week. The first review we're going to do is for a small little movie called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Now, you're probably familiar with this film. The trailer went kind of viral. It was a horror mm-hmm. movie involving Winnie the Pooh, only made possible due to it becoming public domain. Yes. Now. I'll start with this. I have a love of film and filmmaking. Making a movie is one of the hardest things you can do in the universe. And this movie had a very low budget. 
And so the fact that a bunch of people came together and made a movie for a low budget and it made $2 million at the box office, I think is a beautiful thing. And I love that. And I wish all of them success in the future. With that being said, wow, this movie's bad. It's so bad. It It's not even bad good. It's just bad. My mic fucked off. There's like one or two moments in it where you're like, all right, that's kind of entertaining. Yeah. But like for the most, you're just like, what's happening? Yeah. Like, and, and it took itself way too seriously. I yeah. feel like we could have had a chance to have like a really fun, funny meme self, campiness self-aware movie and the movie doesn't even come across as self-aware no. and it the shot construction was poor the writing was poor the editing was poor if we come out of a movie and the first thing hannah says is that was edited very poorly it was edited poorly mm-hmm. and i think that nothing worked no like not nothing about the film worked. there was no motivation every laugh every moment of laughter came from unintentional Mm -hmm. it seemed like there were a couple intentional laughs there were there were moments of self-awareness in the movie but the entirety of the film did not feel self-aware no the main character has no arc they do nothing which leads to a meaningless backstory there's and the thing that sucks the most is that this idea is now wasted on this movie, mm-hmm. this Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Because if anyone tries it in the future, it's just going to be like, oh, well, we know how that turned out last time, you know? And I know that this director, this filmmaker had a lot of plans to go on and do like a Peter Pan horror movie and all this stuff. If you're going to do that, which he might because he made money on this movie. This is the backing, yeah. Please just make it good and mm-hmm. I'll go see it. And I believe, I believe in you. Like, you know, you, you got the money, you made the movie. wasn't great. If at first you don't succeed, try, Hopefully try they again. can afford a second light. Oof. <laughs> but yeah, uh, your thoughts on Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? I mean, yeah, pretty much what you said. You know, given the trailer and the concept, you're expecting memes, campiness. You're, you, you know it's not going to be good going mm-hmm. in, yeah. even based off the trailer. But I was at least expecting some entertainment because a movie can be bad and still be very enjoyable. And I expected it to at least be competently made. And it was not. Like on any level. Even the sound mixing Mm -hmm. was bad. And I think that it was disappointing because of that. I think you're just left with this kind of low budget dumpster fire that just you're waiting to fizzle out. Mm -hmm. Now, thank God it was an hour and 20 minutes because I don't think I could have gone any longer with it. Um I think some of the sets were actually pretty cool, mm-hmm. like the Hundred Acre Wood set, like the wood yeah. caverns and stuff. Yeah. Like that was cool, but like if that's where your budget went, I think I would have preferred it to go to buying a song instead of <laughs> like free tunes or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't, you know, it just it didn't work. It they took work. a swing. What I was just gonna say, like it didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work, but it did work because it made money. But I think. I think the idea made money. The idea made money. Yeah. And I hope that it's a shame, like you said, that we got yeah. it kind of wasted on this because the Winnie the Pooh horror movie is very funny. I'm yeah. interested. I want to research kind of the licensing stuff about it. Yeah. Like, I want to know what's off limits because of what have Disney's done with the character. Exactly, yeah. Like, I'd be very interested to know what aspects of that because it's just Pooh and Piglet in this. There's yeah. not... And and for viewers wondering, like, what we mean, Yeah. Um, the public domain law is... Vi- very strict when it comes to previous adaptations like for example wizard of oz is public domain anyone can make a wizard of oz movie but what you can't do is have the red slippers Mm -hmm. because disney did that in their adaptation and that itself is copyrighted only to disney 
Yeah, but the original source material, Wizard of Oz, is public domain for you to adapt. So anything not in that source material that someone else used, you can't. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious because I, I also don't know the original Winnie the Pooh source material either. So yeah. I'd have to like go figure that out. But yeah. Because that's like even with like the Lord of the Rings TV show that just came out. They had to adapt the books. They could not take anything from the movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to know what kind of parameters. I don't think that gives them any leeway mm-hmm. on my end. I would just be curious for my own knowledge. Yeah. And then what they did, like can now no one do a Winnie the Pooh horror movie? Yeah. Like, I'd be curious about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd be curious to look into that, too. Uh, long story short, don't bother. Yes. <laughs> can I Can I steal your line? Yeah. Oh, bother. Don't bother. Yeah. I liked that one. I liked that one a lot. <laughs> Thank you. But, yeah, unfortunately, did not enjoy it. It is not a recommend. Not a recommend. No, not at all. For this next movie review, um, some of you are going to be wondering, wow, I feel like I saw this on YouTube yesterday. You did. We clipped it out early. <laughs> Time traveling and editing. Woo. Yay. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Ooh. <laughs> Before we get into it, though, I want to yeah. say this is a spoiler review. Spoiler review. Full spoiler reviews. If you have not seen, if you have not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, do not watch this. Jeff. Save it to your watch later, though. Dad, I'm looking at you. He tends to watch the spoiler reviews anyway. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Jeff, don't do it. <laughs> Anyways, full spoilers, last warning, Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was fine. I think the negative reviews um, are a bit harsh. Mm-hmm. Also, just knowing how Rotten Tomatoes works, like it's not as negative as it seems, one. Two, I'm almost glad the reviews came out negative. Because the people lowered their expectations and went into the movie and came out like, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Or always, I think if, if this would have opened to like a 90, people would have come in and been like, that was fucking terrible, you know? So, mm-hmm. but anyway, in the actual specifics of the movie, things I loved. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors as Kang. Yes. Loved it. Loved the Kang character and the little backstory they gave to this version of Kang the Conqueror. I loved Paul Rudd. Always loved Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer got more stuff to do. Always welcome. She was excellent. I love the art direction of the quantum realm and just that world in general. It was very Star Wars-esque, mm-hmm. and it felt like very like a science fiction movie within that world that I enjoyed. I saw a tweet. Someone said that said, Ant-Man of the Lost Quantum Radio reminds me of Dune, Star Wars, and Sharkboy and Lava Girl, and Spy Kids 3D, <laughs> and I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> that is such an accurate description. <laughs> Holy crap. But, uh, but yeah, so I liked all of that. Okay. And there's some action sequences I enjoyed. Overall, I like the movie. Things I didn't enjoy. Because it's very much mixed bag, lower tier MCU. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, things that I didn't enjoy. I feel like I didn't live in a scene. Mm-hmm. It just kept moving and moving and moving and moving. Well, for some movies, I think that works. Like, I like Doctor Strange a lot more than you do, the second one. Yeah. And I think that type of pacing worked for that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't feel it worked for this movie because a lot of the Ant-Man movies relied on living in scenes with these characters. Yeah. And you really doesn't. So for some context, since we're doing a spoiler one, yeah. the, when they first get to the quantum realm, which is the Early. first 10 minutes, yeah. they're like, fucking get them there. Yeah. Um, it cuts like five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes because the gang gets split up. Yeah. So you focus on uh, Jenna Van Dyne, Hank Pym, and um, uh, Wasp, uh, Hope. Wasp Hope, Hope Van Dyne. And Ant-Man uh, and Cassie. 
but you very easily could have let those scenes play out for like 10 15 minutes at mm -hmm. a time and as an audience member you realize that these scenes are happening concurrently yeah and that would have been fine yeah but instead it's like we need to make sure they know that this is happening at the same time and it didn't allow you a moment to breathe yeah that and that would have been okay if they weren't introducing so many new ideas and things to get accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Like, they introduced this whole new side of the quantum realm. They introduced the brand new characters from the quantum realm. Yes. And since I didn't get a minute to live and know these people, when they're paying off emotional moments at the end, I didn't feel it. Because I'm just like, I just met this person. You know, like, I didn't yeah. live or feel with this person. There's one moment in the movie that was a very lived-in scene that I loved. And it's when Ant-Man teaches Cassie how to do the move. Oh, yeah, the like, pop and jump. Like, more moments like that, where there's a lot going on, but, like, let's mm -hmm. take a moment and let's be with these characters and see something. Needed more of that, yeah. the movie, overall. Um, there's some script issues that I didn't love, but I don't know if a lot was cut out mm. or if it was made in this way. Since this guy's writing Kang Dynasty, I feel like maybe a lot was just cut out. Okay. But we'll Ooh. see. I, I've always said take the writer's benefit of the doubt because you never know like the last of us guy you just the stuff he made previously mm -hmm. you never know how it was on paper you never know how it that's, was on paper that, that's fair yeah that, that's that's fair but mm, it's gonna I, I'm confident I think there I think that movie is gonna have a lot of studio oversight on yeah. it, which I think is yeah. important yeah but uh, in this instance in this instance yeah, yeah. but regardless um I feel like, and our good friend Ben Lamro, who does the Rec Room podcast, he said this, and I fully agree. I feel like not enough was established to make Kang the new big baddie of the MCU, other than how good Jonathan Majors is. Well, because then at the end of it, he gets taken down by ants. He gets taken down like, by ants and Ant-Man, and like nobody dies. Yeah. Like, and it's like, I want to establish this. Yeah, yeah, and I was worried for Scott for a minute there. He was beating, the, he was beating that boy's ass. <laughs> but like... um. Not saying you're like, oh, you have to kill Ant-Man or you have to do this. There, there almost felt like there was no real consequence other than there's more Kangs coming, right? Because the Kang dynasty. Because even at the end, they get out. Yeah. Which I, I disagree with. Yeah. So, you know, there are some instances there. Like I said, overall, I enjoyed the movie. I think it's a perfectly fine movie. It just did a bunch of little things that I think were preventing it from being a great movie. Mm -hmm. Kept happening. And um, I also think that uh, our friend Harry, who we saw the movie with, had a theory about what's going on with Kang the Conqueror. Because I don't think that that version of Kang is dead. Okay. And especially just because I don't want this version to be dead because I really like this version. But we'll see. But he had a theory where... Because in the movie, they kind of take basically sub extra subatomic after the quantum realm. Him and his ship's core mm -hmm. like almost just disappear. Yeah. And our friend Harry had a theory that wherever they end up in like another dimension or whatever, that that multiplier that Ant-Man had to go through where himself was just being multiplied, the probability storm, yeah. storm that Kang is in one of those and a bunch of Kangs are being born and they're going to find a way to get out and escape. And it's just a bunch of that version of Kang. That's a great theory. And I would love to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the probability storm, that was one of my favorite moments in the movie. And I've seen a lot of people yeah. give it pushback mm -hmm. saying it was cheesy. I almost got chills when that with them with all the other scots helping scott i thought that was, i thought it was a great scene personally i think it just, just i think it did a great job of establishing that like the one problem like cassie mm -hmm. like yeah. that is mm -hmm. ant-man's only yeah 
motivation mm-hmm. and i think that worked well yeah i think it was a little cheesy but i bought into it i i would equate it to like the scene in homecoming yeah he's like come on Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. and you're yeah. like yeah cool i get it it makes sense but mm-hmm. yeah the yeah but but i i personally really like yeah. i like the sequence i mean i think the best 20 minute chunk of this movie is when you have three scenes that they actually let you sit in and it starts when um janet is explaining to hank and hope who kang is mm-hmm. like that whole sequence of janet and kang in the quantum realm yeah was fantastic i would have watched two hours of that i agree yeah um and then that immediately then goes into kang interrogating ant-man and cassie yeah and that Those, is that incredible. is a great scene and then yeah. that immediately cuts to the probability so like yeah. that 20 minute chunk yeah. i was like this is the movie i've kind of yeah. wanted like yeah. i want this bleak kind of mm-hmm oh shit like that yeah. that was the only time i felt stakes in the movie yeah personally. i agree yeah yeah the, the stakes were a bit well done in the movie but mm-hmm. I, I did feel them for the most yeah. part um i think prose also i didn't like the book ending of the voiceover with ant-man going about i think some of it worked but i think the ending drawed on too long of mm-hmm. like the yeah we defeated him right you saw that yeah, like, I, th- I thought that was kind of silly. Uh, like, that kind of kept yeah. going too long. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that the whole rebellion resistance storyline is yeah. interesting. Yeah. But we didn't get enough. I saw the movie twice before this review. Yeah. And there's the three kind of, three or four main resistance fighters. There's yeah. the telepath. There's the main warrior girl. And then there's the alien, the two aliens with, like, the beam and the goo guy. I could not tell you a single one of their names. Yeah. And, like, honestly... Had they come out with like a quantum realm show before this movie where we got to know all these people, yeah, I'd feel differently about how it was. Right? I think a six episode Janet show in the oh, quantum realm that would have been sick as fuck. Where you can introduce like Bill Murray's character, you yeah. can introduce these resistance mm-hmm. fire, and then you go into the movie knowing them. Yeah, I think is. Yeah. There, there's two thing, two more things I want to touch upon in the movie. Mm-hmm. One was Catherine Newton. I thought she was fine. Mm-hmm. There are some parts where I think she's a great actress. I, I love everything she's been in. I too. agree. Yeah. I fully agree. She's amazing and freaky. I didn't love her performance in the movie, but I think it's partially because of what she was given. Mm-hmm. And I think like when we see her interact with like Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh, like I feel like that that's going to really shine. Yeah. I still feel bad for the Endgame actress a lot, mm-hmm. but Catherine Newton did fine, did what she could. You know what kind of bothered me about the character, though? What's up? Two things. One, and it kind of goes into every character that can shrink and grow. Mm-hmm. Because the quantum realm is so big and also so microscopic, whenever they were shrinking and growing, I didn't feel any scale. True. Like, the shots looked just like regular people to yeah. me. Uh-huh. Um, and two, whenever she would jump into someone in tiny form, she would bounce off, which is just not how Ant-Man works. Yeah. And yeah. that was a little... I know that's a little detail, and it happens, like, twice, but it, they make a point to show you her jumping into someone and yeah. knocking it. And that's just not how the dynamics of Ant-Man works when he's shrunk down. Yeah. And that kind of, I was like. Just kind of thrown off by it. Yeah. And I get like when Ant-Man does it, he's a 40-year-old guy punching with yeah. the force of a 40-year-old guy that big. And mm-hmm. she's a teenage girl. Yeah. But I feel like even still, it should have been like a shoulder. Like the yeah. person should have been like. Moved, somewhat moved a bit. Yeah. You know, I got you. That makes sense. Now let's talk about MODOK. Let's talk about the MODOK of it all. Everyone is hating him online. Gotta Have you say, seen this? gotta say, best character. I loved Modok in the movie. <laughs> uh, well, and it's because you knew said it beforehand. Either they go one hundred percent. This is terrifying figure. You disform his face. You make it a body horror. This guy's coming to kill you type thing. Yeah. Or you make it self aware and funny. And they went the self aware and funny route. And I think it worked. The only thing that didn't work 
is the little redemption arc they do for him at the end. I didn't enjoy. I, now, his final line is hilarious. I didn't... Are you referring to the scene where he basically destroys, like, Kang's shield? Yes. Yeah. It's like, look at me. I'm a dick. Yeah, yeah. I... Like, it was funny, but that... Story-wise, I didn't buy that change okay. happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have built it up because of how Kang was treating him in the movie. But they only show, like, one instance of Kang treating him like that. Exactly. And, like... I loved seeing Modoc in a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I totally understand why they killed Modoc because you can't do this all the time. I like the adap- uh, adaption of making it Darren Cross. Yeah. Because I see what they were going with the Cassie storyline because yeah. Cassie's really the one who fights him the most. Yeah. And, it, the, uh, yes. and I get that. And it worked. Mm-hmm. But overall, it didn't. It worked. Yeah. Yes. His so... final line at the end was so good. <laughs> yeah. No. I, he worked well for me. Yeah. yeah. And the effects weren't as jarring as i was expecting yeah, it to be yeah and like for those complaining about that how else was it supposed to look like uh, unless you're gonna go a different direction with him where it wasn't funny yeah like how how else are you gonna if it wasn't funny he would have been in the mask the whole time I yeah think. and you would yeah. have gotten like a darth vader shot at the end where yeah you see like maybe a, yeah like deformed mm-hmm. yeah but i don't know i it worked for me personally i loved modok no i think there's a lot of positives in the like modok kang janet mm-hmm. i i think it big disappointment disappointment for me also was wasp in it yeah wasp didn't really have much to do no and i get you know she's in the title she was in the title the first one and that would have been a shit storm if they yeah took her out of the title but like every time it would cut to her i was like oh yeah she's in this yeah like i i I feel like she didn't have an arc in the movie yeah she got shafted she was this there to show be in scenes with her parents yeah And, and you made the joke of like i think wasp in this title is talking about janet yeah of ant-man and the wasp but yeah honestly i think they could have just got away with calling the movie quantum (laughs) mania fair fair for sure but yeah no i yeah i it set up a lot that i'm excited for but i do think there could have been more stakes i I wish i could have lived in a scene this movie should have been an eight episode show (laughs) or cut out some of the new stuff and live in the scenes more but yeah i still enjoy the movie overall i do too i honestly i think it is my least favorite of the ant-man movies i I think so too. I might like it more than the second Ant Man movie, but we got like all... marginally so kind of. Yeah, thing. but but we got. I, but I haven't seen Ant Man two in a long time. Yeah. I, I want to rewatch Ant Man two before I made that call mm-hmm. because I like Wasp and Ant Man two a lot. Now can I ask you something? Because there's something we disagree with about the movie. Okay, so one of my I would say almost top five favorite MCU characters is Hank Pym. Yes, I love Hank Pym so much. What did you think of the ants at the end? I just didn't think it was set up good enough to buy that happening. Okay. Because, I like, yes, they touch upon, like, oh, look, they, they built this themselves so and they did for that. for spoiler kind yeah, of referring yeah. to the army of in- superintelligent society ants that yeah. Hank Pym lets yeah. loose in the quantum realm. Now, on paper, I understand, like, that them being one of the only things that can beat Kang because Kang isn't ready for giant ants. Yeah. Like, I get that. But at the same time... The ants being the thing that defeat Kang just just took, I think, cred away from our characters. Like, okay. if they helped out in a certain way, like maybe they needed a weapon mm-hmm. and the ants could have built the weapon for our things to use, our characters yeah. to use, I think that would have been slightly different. I think they were used to level the playing field because without it, you don't get the fist fight with Kang and Ant-Man at the end because yeah. his technology needs to be destroyed yeah. Yeah. by these ants. Yeah, and I feel like there was just a better way to have one of our characters destroy that technology. 
Because like, they were setting up early that Cassie's super intelligent. Yeah. Because, you know, she's a new young character in the MCU. They all have to be scientists and geniuses. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, they're going to set up where she's going to figure out how to, like, disable Kang's stuff. And then... That almost feels like what the Modoc Redemption arc should have been, is him, like, knowing how to shut that, it down. I would have mm-hmm. enjoyed that more. Yeah. That being said, I love... <laughs> all of Hank Pym's rhymes was like, what, I like ants. That, like, yeah. get off my case about it. Yeah, that was funny. And then him just, like, coming in with that. And I think Hank Pym, I still stand by, is one of the most dangerous people in the MCU. <laughs> he is. Like, I mean, even the What If episode shows you, like, yeah. literally how dangerous he is. Yeah, big time. Um, I mean, overall, recommend, personally. Oh, yeah, no, I recommend, for sure. For but sure. I think there's a lot of good, and with that comes a lot yeah. of bad as well. And with that being said... Amped for Secret Invasion, amped for Guardians Three, big time. Amped for Loki. We got a Loki tease. Too yes, we did. Yes, there. we did. Yes, amped for More the twenty twenty three projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Big no, I'm excited time. for the rest of it. I think that this was personally for me, not being a fan of Thor: Love and Thunder, and not being a big fan of Multiverse of Madness. I did enjoy Wakanda Forever. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy this, and I think that. Hopefully that trend continues. I think Guardians 3 looks incredible. Yeah. Oh, it does. Personally. Yeah. I, I, I'd i say, and this is early, I reserve the right to change my answer in mm-hmm. my mind. Right now, I like it more than Thor 4. I don't like it as much as Doctor Strange 2. I like it better than both. I, I just really like Doctor Strange 2, so that's, that's tough I, for me to hear. I but. think I almost would have liked to see Ant-Man or Sam Raimi direct this instead of Doctor Strange. That's a fair argument, but I, I don't know. I, I The more... What I'll say, the more I've watched, and I liked Doctor Strange 2 a lot the yeah. first time I watched it. I've seen it about three or four times now. Mm-hmm. Each time I watch it, I like it more. Really? Yeah. See, I still, you know, that one, I don't feel the madness of the multiverse. I mm-hmm. felt the quantum mania. Fair. That's fair. And that's where I'll leave it. Now, granted, if you look at my uh, letterbox and rankings, they're both three stars. Yeah. But we're getting into the nitty gritty uh, Now we're just in semantics. Yeah. Like, I think if you did a tiered system, I think they're same tier. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I would put Doctor Strange 2 at a higher tier. Mm-hmm. I would put this on a tier with, like, Love and Thunder, with Ant-Man 2, with Thor 2. See, I just Iron, dis- I disagree Iron, with that. Iron Man 2, like, mm. the bottom. But I don't I don't dislike any of those movies. I just think they're n- fine, you know? MCU tier ranking video? We might have to. We might have to. <laughs> but, uh, but, yes... That is the review for Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania, guys. Thank you so much. And if you've seen the movie and you watched the review and you stuck around to the end of the show, thank you guys so much for watching, and we will see you next week.